You're listening to Energy Insiders, a weekly update on clean energy and climate policy with Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading energy analyst David Leach. Energy Insiders is brought to you by Evergen, providing cutting-edge energy management software for battery optimisation, virtual power plants and distributed energy resources. And Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Energy Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. And joining me as usual is co-host David Leach from ITK Services. David, I trust you are well as we sort of charge into the last month of a, uh, an unusual year. Uh, yes, we're advancing into the into December. We're in December now and it's going to be an interesting month. And uh, speaking of interesting, we had a very interesting guest today, Giles. Look, we did actually, um, David. Um, I'm, I'm, should we play, play this interview straight off, or should we chit chat first, or, or, or have a chit chat? I think do the interview first. I think most of our guests want, want to hear <laughs> hear from them, not us. Fair enough. Um, many of our guests will remember this week that the um, a new big battery was announced for the site of the uh, Hazelwood Brown Coal Generator, which closed in 2017. It's been put together by Angie um, or Inji and uh, Macquarie to be built by Fluence. And earlier today, we caught up with the CEO of Inji in Australia and New Zealand, Augustin Honora. We're very pleased to welcome um, Augustin Honora from Inji to this um, podcast. And um, Augustin, thanks for joining us. And uh, I hope I got the pronunciation sort of approximately right. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, uh, Giles and, and David. Well, look, um, you're here because this week you've announced a big battery, 150 megawatts, 150 megawatt hours at the site of the old Hazelwood power site. And it's sort of quite transformational, really, in, in so many ways. I mean, Hazelwood, of course, was closed. When it was closed, it was the um, most uh, polluting generator in Australia and I think probably the world. And now that site is being used to sort of assist the transformation towards 100% renewables. Can you just explain roughly why you've made this decision on this big battery? Yes, yeah, so look, that's a that's a very exciting project for NG and and for its partners to to develop uh, such a new generation energy asset. Um, the the reason we why we have developed that concept was um, in in the former Hazelwood uh, uh, site there are uh, wonderful transmission capacities that are installed and, and that were used for the former coal-powered station. Um, there is about 1,600 megawatts of, of capacity there that is idle for the moment, and, and we thought this would be the, the perfect place to develop a new energy asset. And, and also because uh, we, we care about this site and we've always been very clear in the rehabilitation project of, of Hazelwood, that we would um, uh, work on the redevelopment of that site. Uh, we, we found that, uh, that this kind of project would be uh, exactly uh, the, the, the right project for, uh, for Hazelwood. So you're starting off with a one-hour battery, um, 150 megawatts, I mean, that's reasonable size in the context of what's in Australia. But I mean, I guess when, as we go forward, um, we're going to need a lot more storage. I think Ayimo has discussed about 20 gigawatts. As you say, you've got 16 megawatts, 1600 megawatts capacity there. So I presume that this battery could not just get bigger in terms of sort of overall capacity. It could get bigger in terms of length of storage. Um, when and how might that evolve? 
So that's exactly right. Uh, we, we can go bigger in terms of capacity and we can also go deeper in terms of, of storage duration. Um, what it is today is one hour because we have, uh, based on the market studies that we have done and the, and the different revenues that we could get for that battery, we thought this was the appropriate uh, duration of storage. But obviously in the future, there will be different needs. And, and what we think is that the, uh, a, a deeper storage, so two hours, maybe four hours, may, maybe longer at some point in time, uh, will be required by the market. And, and then it will be the right time to add capacity and add um, um, depths of the storage uh, to the existing uh, battery. When will this happen? Uh, I, I, I cannot tell. Uh, it will obviously depend on the, on the market yeah. uh, prices that, that we can find. Does it also depend on some of the competition happening in that market too? Because it, look, it's a nascent market for, for, for battery storage. We know that it will be in demand, but I guess getting the timing is right and also the timing of other projects because your competitors or colleagues, or I don't know how you describe them, Energy Australia has Yulon, um, AGL has Luoyang A. They're both talking about similar size batteries, at least 200, 200 megawatts or 350 megawatts with up to four hours storage. Um, you keep an eye on each other to see what they're doing and why and when. Does that also influence your decision? Look, we, we, we are uh, considering the, the, the full energy system uh, at the level of the level of Victoria. So, and, and there are different aspects, different um, elements in that system. Uh, there is uh, the, the existing demand uh, and there is the existing offer. And we know that offer will be completely changed uh, in, in the future years because of the penetration of renewables that is uh, as, as um, quick as, uh, as uh, or quicker probably than, than, than what could have been expected. And there's also uh, the retirement of coal-fired power stations that, that tend to, uh, to, to retire faster than, than was expected as well. So those elements will uh, push the market uh, for more storage capability. And, and, and there we, we can play a role. And not just us, uh, we, we recognize that a number of other companies uh, will, will, will play a role there. But we think the potential is so huge that there is space for everyone in that market to make sure that the, the, the lights will be kept on and that the, the system of the, of the, uh, the, the strength of, of the energy system is still there tomorrow. Um, Augustin, I, I, I want to come back to the battery, but I'd like to talk if, if, if you don't, if you're happy about a little bit about Angie in Australia in the context that globally, I think Angie has about uh, 31 gigawatts of renewables and about 64 gigawatts of gas and is a very large business. And then I look in Australia since Hazelwood uh, was de is decommissioned that the Simply Energy, which I think has about 158,000 customers and, and up about 15,000 last year. That's still a very small market share. I, I, I believe you have experience, and correct me if I'm wrong, of, of in France of managing the retail business. I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about Simply Energy, how you see the future for that business, how it, what's the role for a retailer that is so small relative to the very big guys? So uh, Simply Energy is, is our brand, uh, our B2C, so residential customers brand here in, in Australia. Um, it has 750,000 customers, so a, a, a bit more than, than, than what you had. Um, oh, I must be looking at the New South Wales ones. I'm sorry, I'm looking at an AER report that published a list last year. Uh, 
No, that's all right. We, the, the, the business is growing fast, so that's why uh, every day Not is a bigger number. So, um, yeah, so, so we are about uh, three quarters of a, of a million customers uh, overall in Australia. That's mainly in the NEM, uh, so Victoria, South Australia, and, and New South Wales. Um, this Simply Energy is exactly uh, the, the uh, I think illustrates the, the strategy that, that we want to have, uh, not only here, but in, in other parts of the world. The, the purpose of the company, of Engie, is to accelerate the transition and the energy transition towards a carbon-neutral economy. And we are doing that for the different customers that we have in the different countries that we operate in. And, and Engie is a global group, so we, 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 we have about uh, 50 countries that we operate in. Australia is an important one where we, we, we are doing exactly that, that transition for ourselves. And, and we started, as you said, uh, about four years ago when the decision was made to close Hazelwood and to sell uh, Loyang B, which, which is a, a, a massive coal power station. Uh, so that was a, a very important decision to transition away from coal and to focus or refocus on renewables and, and net zero solutions for our customers and for ourselves. In doing this, we have reduced our carbon footprint here by about 90%, which, which is massive. And, and now we think we have the, uh, the legitimacy, if you like, to propose uh, offers for our customers to do that for themselves. So companies and, and also uh, individuals, uh, residential customers, moms and dads, we are providing to them uh, electricity and gas supply that is carbon neutral. So. Uh, this was a decision made recently for Simply Energy. All our offers are now carbon neutral for, for our customers. And for the bigger customers, so companies, uh, we provide more and more corporate PPAs to them. So green corporate PPAs, that is a good way for them to contract energy over the long term with a, with a, with a green asset or a, 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 renewable, a renewable asset um, underpinned by that, as, as you know very well. Ah, yes. Look, I do apologise about getting those customers' numbers wrong. I, I, I was reading directly out of a table from the AER, Table 2.1, but uh, uh, nevertheless, um, uh, it, it, I guess my question really is that um, although you would like to move your customers in a green direction, it seems to me that none of the retailers of significant size really are so committed to to being green that they will only offer a, a, a green, a carbon-free product. And I just wondered, uh, you know, particularly when whether you thought as a marketing strategy how successful something like that might be, particularly if one of the big three gentailers was was to adopt it. Look, we, we, we recognise that it may take time and that the the pace of decarbonization uh, of a, a country might be different uh, from one country to another or from one continent to another. Um, in France, we've done a similar move uh, for our residential customers about five years ago, and, and we now have about five million customers that have a green offer uh, uh, from NG. Here in Australia, the, the, the trend has started probably a bit later, uh, but, but the recent announcements by the, the, the federal government and, and also by, by the different states committing to net zero by 2050 or, or before uh, is something certainly very encouraging. But, but what I would like to say is that um, um, there is what the governments do and, and, and they 
encourage and they push and that's and that's very important but there is also what the customers expect from us and there we see more and more appetite uh, from those customers being small or large for these kind of offers for for green offers so um, we, we are responding to a to to a demand here but we are also providing the tools and the offers that will uh, meet that uh, that that demand from our customers but not creating a, a, a brand identity that is solely based around that and i think that goes to the crux of my question but I, if i could move on perhaps to some of the other developments besides the battery that your Aussie group is looking at in Australia. And I think of the ones that I can see, the Hills of Gold, which is a proposed wind farm uh, in New South Wales near Nundal of about 400 megawatts, unless I've misread that as well. Uh, how do you feel about the, the prospects for that and, uh, you know, in the context of the New South Wales scheme? And do you like that scheme? And yeah, look, that's a, um, the, the project you're talking about. And, and yes, you're right. It's uh, three to 400 megawatts. Uh, we, we'll see ultimately how many turbines we, we, we can put. Uh, but that's, a, that's a, another project that, that we have. Part of that uh, renewable uh, portfolio that, that we are developing or, or, or pipeline that, that we are developing. Um, we, you were talking about the brand. I think that the, 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 the brand and how it is perceived by, by customers will depend a lot on um, concrete evidence of, of what a, a company does, like, like NG. And, and developing and uh, delivering those projects, renewable projects like Hills of Gold, but you, we, we also have an, a number of other wind farms or solar farms in SA, uh, Queensland, uh, Victoria and New South Wales, uh, will, will be good proof points of um, that transition to net zero that, that we are uh, supporting for, for ourselves, uh, for, for our customers, obviously, and, and, and for the country. Um, Hills of Gold is, is an interesting one because uh, it's in a state, as you said, that is strongly supporting uh, net zero and, and renewables in, in general. And we, we have already uh, secured a, a customer uh, for uh, most of the electricity of that um, of that uh, future project. So that's a, it shows that uh, th there is demand and, and that drives the development of, of such assets, which is extremely interesting, I think. And I'll just ask one more question, because I know that uh, Angie has a big global presence in gas. And here in Australia, you operate the Pelican Point power station, which has seen a decline in output over the last couple of years it's, and its history has been you know up and down uh, but uh, recently in South Australia generally all gas generators have been running a bit less and although they may run more once the interconnector to New South Wales is built I think my question generally is how do you think about the future for gas generation uh, in, in decarbonising world and uh, secondly how do you think about the future for Pelican Point Look, the, uh, the, the very quick penetration of renewables uh, in South Australia, but in Australia in general and, and in many other countries, um, cr create certainly challenges for traditional thermal generation like, like coal and gas. Um, that's, that's obvious. And, and look, that's the purpose of, of, of renewable energy is to replace ultimately uh, um, high CO2 emissions uh, assets. Um, the, the fact is that, and, and as you know that very well, but the intermittency of, of renewables 
requires to have a, a way to uh, back up that or to store electricity in a way or to have dispatchable electricity when you need that because the sun doesn't shine or the wind doesn't blow or you have uh, more demand than, than offer in general. In general. Um, so the, the, the gas-fired power stations are certainly challenged by that. But I also note that they are critical now to the security of the energy system in, in those parts of the world. And, and, and they say is a, is a good example of that as well. This year, in uh, and I think that was the 12th of March, um, one of the gas generators in, in South Australia had a, had a problem. And then we, uh, we, we had to run all our, our gas units there, not only Pelican, but also the pickers that, that we have. And, and without uh, us being able to run them, uh, there would have been a blackout in, in, in South Australia. So it, it just illustrates the importance of those assets right now. But in the future, I agree that they probably will not be needed because they will be replaced by uh, large-scale batteries, by hydrogen maybe, or maybe by other technologies. Just wondering if I can sort of um, hop in. I'm just interested in some of these sort of um, more sort of uh, forward-looking um, um, projects and forward-looking technologies. So Hazelwood is your first big battery in Australia. What other sort of battery projects are you considering? And will they be standalone or will they be paired with wind and, and, um, and solar farms that you're also contemplating? That's, that's a very good point. We, uh, we, we consider there are two kinds of projects that we can develop. Um, the ones that are co-located with renewable assets that offers a good, uh, uh, a good combination uh, to supplement or to uh, combat the intermittency nature of, of those renewable assets, whether they are solar or wind farms. Uh, so that's certainly in nowadays any uh, renewable project that we are looking at, uh, we consider adding to that a, a storage component uh, in, in the form of a large-scale battery. So mm. that's one. And, and we have projects there, as I said, in, in, in the various states of the NEM. Um, but we also look at um, uh, standalone projects like the Hazelwood battery. That's a good example. We thought about developing uh, renewables on that side, solar or wind. But the reality is that the resource, uh, the, the, the sun or the wind, is not as good as it could be in other places uh, of Victoria. So mm. it was less interesting to develop renewable on that site. But because there is that very strong uh, transmission capacity, we thought uh, a, a standalone battery would make sense. So, and, yeah. Yeah. So, so, sorry to interrupt. You, I, I was intrigued before because you talked about the sort of the possible expansion um, of, of the depth of the um, Hazelwood battery. You talked about two hours or four hours or even more. So I'm just wondering, um, yes, you look very carefully at battery storage technologies. Um, how many hours do you think they could actually expand to and still be commercial? And what are the implications then for sort of other competing storage technologies like pumped hydro? Because I know that your competitors, the other big gentailers, they've also got their, hand, their, their fingers in, or their hands in both camps with the feet in both camps or whatever it is that they put in both camps you know they're doing batteries and pumped hydro storage projects do you have any pumped hydro storage projects in mind or are you thinking that battery or maybe it's going to be hydrogen that takes you to that longer depth of storage so we are looking at the different technologies i think what we are interested in is probably the outcome so the the, the, the length and the duration of the storage you have not necessarily such or such technology we we are a bit agnostic here, but we recognize that uh, batteries, large-scale batteries, are probably 
shorter term in terms of, of depth of storage compared to uh, Pumped Hydro, as you said. And, and we operate, uh, I mean, NG operates uh, Pumped Hydro in other parts of the world. So that's something that, that we know as well. What, what I think for Australia is that um, the, the, our main projects will be probably in the hydrogen sector now in terms of storage, but also in terms of other applications for, for that new technology. And we, we consider uh, hydrogen a little bit like a Swiss army knife uh, for the energy transition in the sense that uh, it provides a variety of applications that are good for decarbonizing. It's good to it's, it, hydrogen is excellent to decarbonize the transport uh, sector uh, with, with uh, very good green mobility applications, but it's also very good to inject in pipes and to be able to be burnt um, as, as methane was. Uh, it's also great to decarbonize some um, industries that, need, uh, that needed uh, methane as a, as a feedstock and, and that can use hydrogen in the future. And, and we have projects mm -hmm. here. Uh, and also uh, hydrogen, hydrogen is also a convenient way to store electricity uh, for when you, you need that. Um, obviously, the, the, the commerciality of all this is still a question mark, uh, but, but it's, uh, the, the prospects are, are excellent. Um, yeah, just just on that hydrogen. Um, you, you mentioned it being a Swiss Army knife, and because um, a lot of people sort of think, oh, actually, hydrogen is storage for the electricity grid. Well, why would that make sense? Because you need so much um, electricity to actually sort of create the hydrogen in the first place. Why wouldn't you just sort of either sort of put it into a battery because you get um, a more better round trip efficiency? But I guess what you're saying here then is that you'd actually have a hydrogen project which would do multiple things, and that would be a side benefit of that installation. There is this, uh, but, but also uh, we are convinced, and I think everyone is, that the cost of uh, hydrogen production will decrease in the future years. So what may seem uncommercial today and unviable will, will become commercial as uh, the, the cost of electrolyzers decrease and as the cost of uh, solar panels or, or, or wind farms decrease because uh, the, the generation of electricity associated to electrolyzers is an important part of the, uh, of the cost of, of hydrogen production. So we, we, we see that. We are probably at the beginning of, of that, but exactly as we would have the same discussion about solar or wind uh, 10 or, or 20 years ago, uh, it, it was not viable, but still people started to work on that. Uh, with, with small projects and probably and, and progressively scale up, and now it's uh, it's it's grid parity and, and and even better than that. Um, David, so, if, um, yeah, so, sorry, uh, yeah, and I do want to apologise about those customer numbers. After looking at the table for two years, I finally worked out when I go to okay, page two on the footnote. Uh, uh, where I've never looked before that it ex the table, the AER table, excludes Victoria. So I'm very embarrassed uh, uh, that, about That's that. all right, David. <laughs> no worries. We'll, we'll, we'll try not to include it in our sort of highlights of the year, David, but I'm sure. Let's, uh, let's move on from there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I will. And, and so I wanted to ask, uh, how, does, how do you uh, see ONGI's future in Australia generally? I mean, uh, you know, is it the ambition to make it uh, a significant part of the ONGI uh, uh, global business, like a, when I say significant, bigger again. Uh, um, uh, can you grow the business uh, a lot, in your opinion, or is it always like the retail market shares seem, for instance, to be relatively static? There's competition, you know, uh, gas probably suffers a little bit in five minute uh, settlement, I imagine. Uh, how, how can you make the, make the business a bigger business? 
so the, um, the the situation in Australia is uh, um, that's that's a, an important country for NG. Uh, it used to be a very significant country with with the coal assets and the gas assets. We recognize that the, the, the transition uh, has really pushed us to uh, um, pivot the, the business to, to something different uh, and to renewables and, and those net zero solutions for our customers. But, I, but I'm very glad with this year, 2021, because we have demonstrated that uh, this transformation of the business is, uh, is, is underway. So we've exited coal. I, I said that. We've launched a number of projects. Uh, so we've we've announced yesterday that uh, uh, that, that big battery um, in Hazelwood. We've also um, positioned ourselves in the uh, EV charging stations um, in, in industry or sector. And and I think you had one of my colleagues talk to that um, uh, a few weeks or months ago. So we we've um, effectively signed for a hundred of those EV charging stations. Uh, to install and, and to maintain and to operate in the in the coming years uh, with with Arena, so that was an important aspect of our transformation as well. Another one was hydrogen projects. I mentioned that as as being a, a key technology for us, and and we we are working on two projects, uh, one in Victoria, one in WA, uh, that with the support of Arena and and with the help of partners uh, Yara and AGIG for uh, the respective projects. Uh, and and I, as I said, we, we also work hard on, on those traditional renewable projects, uh, wind, wind and solar. So I think with those different um, elements and, and projects, you, you, you see where we are going to in terms of uh, offering or developing the, the, the projects and the assets that we will uh, need to offer to our customers green electricity and green gas tomorrow. Uh, so the, 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 the business is about that transformation and and uh, it's about growing that business uh, both for our um, customers company customers but but also residential customers with with simply energy as as you said uh, for all the stakeholders and can i ask what about offshore wind uh, uh, that's another it seems to me more immediate opportunity for a, a lot of players around the world not just australia much closer it seems to me than than hydrogen so that's one that uh, NG uh, is uh, involved in, and, and there is a we have a subsidiary called Ocean Winds that does exactly that, and they have that have assets in uh, in, in in Europe and, and in Asia, uh, in of, offshore wind. I mean, um, Australia is not uh, a, a priority country for the moment for for us. I would say, although we are sometimes looking at projects, but uh, but my view is that in. in, in in, in countries where you don't have a lot of land, um, uh, putting uh, wind farms in the sea makes a lot of sense. And Europe is certainly that. Uh, Japan, Korea, certainly similar. Australia has uh, the, the, the benefit of, of having so much land uh, everywhere and such wonderful resources in terms of solar and, 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 wind, and wind that uh, I, I think there is a, a lot to do on the land uh, before going to the sea. But but you never know. Maybe we'll uh, we'll, we'll have a, a project in the coming years in uh, in the sea as well here. I agree with that. Two final questions from me, um, Augustin. Um, one: do you, have, is, do you have a wish list of policies and say market rules? I mean, we're going through this sort of whole rewrite of the uh, of the market rules with the through the Energy Security Board. There's important decisions being made by the Australian Energy Market Commission. There's these sort of um, well, there's a stark difference between state and federal policies. What's at the top of your wish list? 
Look, I, it's, it's not really a wish list in terms of uh, doing such or such thing. I, I, I would say it's more what we expect is more a framework and, 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 and one that is stable and certain and gives us visibility over the long term to be able to make the right investment decisions. Uh, we, we, we are in a business that requires long term um, because we develop infrastructure that, that is here to last. Uh, the, the battery, the Hazelwood battery is here for the next 20 years and, and maybe longer. A wind farm is 25 to 30 years easy, etc. So we, we, we need that, that long term. And, and we need a framework that, that creates the conditions or creates the rules. And, and we know those rules will not change uh, on a day-to-day -day basis to be able to make those decisions. Um, so we, we are looking at the market design evolutions uh, um, closely uh, with, with the hope that uh, they, they, they provide this, um, this uh, long-term mm -hmm. framework. But something like, for example, um, capacity remuneration um, or capacity remuneration mechanisms is probably something that, that we think is, is useful and needed by the market uh, and, and that has been developed in other countries. Uh, Australia, or I mean the NEM, being an energy-only market is, is something that's probably, uh, that probably needs to, to evolve uh, to, to cope with the uh, energy transition that, uh, that, that we've seen here. Oh dear, I think we're just sort of just about to trigger another sort of a detailed conversation, but we might have to leave that one for now. Um, you've mentioned um, NGE is a massive global corporation, um, operating 50 countries. You look after um, Australia and New Zealand, and look, I'm not too sure, maybe other parts of the Asia Pacific. In competition for capital, um, how is Australia and New Zealand faring? I mean, are you sort of constantly competing maybe with your South American or North American or Asian colleagues into sort of trying to sort of attract the capital out of the board? Um, and, and if that's the case, how is Australia um, doing compared to other regions? Look, look Australia is, uh, is typically a, a country where it is easy to, uh, to do business in. Uh, so that's, that's a, a great place for investments. Uh, and that's the reason why we, we, we have been invested a, a lot in that country. I think the figure I have in mind was, is, is about $5 billion, Aussie dollars, that, uh, that NG has invested in the last 15 years here. And, and we plan to invest more. So, uh, so we are very happy with, with the investment conditions. Uh, what I can also say is that uh, we, we like to partner with, with other players when, when we do those, uh, those large investments. Uh, the, the battery is a good example. We are partnering with Macquarie on, on this one, uh, and we have other partners for other assets. Um, so it's, it's generally not too difficult to find capital uh, in, in Australia. There is, because of the, of the conditions and, and the market conditions in general, but also because there is um, a, a lot of capital um, um, available today to do projects. I, I think what is really the critical aspect is to have the right characteristics and the right business plan for the project that can be attractive to an investor. But then you, but then you have multiple investors that are uh, eager to invest uh, their, their money, and especially in, in Australia. So I, I don't really see a, a competition or global competition. It's more about the quality of, of your project. Very good. Well, look, that's it from me. Um, David, unless you've got any other final questions? Uh, no, I, I just wanted to confirm that uh, how you're seeing that battery uh, value stack in, in at Hazelwood, it's, you know, the duration indicates it's more about frequency control uh, than it is about uh, the market-related service, you know, firming or, or time shifting. Is, is, is that the right way to think about it? 
Yes, look, there are um, three different sources of, of revenues for um, an asset like, the, that, like, like this large-scale battery. Uh, FCAS is certainly one and, and probably the most prominent at this point in time. And, and there are different um, FCAS revenues, eight, eight of them, if, if I'm not mistaken. So that's one. But, but we, we will also um, uh, rely on energy arbitrage. Uh, so in, in the day, charging, discharging, depending on the, on the prices uh, on the markets. Uh, and, and also we, will, uh, we, we intend to sell uh, caps, so those uh, financial products uh, that, that interest our, our customers or uh, energy retailers that, that need to have uh, this kind of protection in case of, of very high prices in, on the markets. So it's really the combination of the three. Um, but you're right, FCAS is, is, is probably the, the, the most important one at this point in time. But we know market will change with the uh, uh, evolutions, as, as we said previously, of, of, of offering and demand, and, and, and especially the, the, the shape of that uh, intraday. Thank you very much, August, and uh, for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a, a pleasure to be with you today. And that was Augustin Honora, the CEO of Engie in um, Australia and New Zealand. I really want to call it Angie, but I'm insist I'm, I'm told it is actually Engie. Um, look, interesting stuff, David. Um, um, it would be interesting to see how quickly that big battery expands um, in size. And I guess well, well Charles, to... I think it is interesting. You know, it's not going to be probably the only uh, battery in Victoria. And as we know, batteries are a very hot topic at the moment. Uh, I think also that it's interesting to see Macquarie entering the market uh, uh, as a partner and wondering what skills they bring. Uh, and finally, we're looking at Fluence, which has been, you know, Tesla was all the name uh, for, for a while, but now we're seeing Fluence and perhaps uh, Doosan. And uh, the gossip I'm hearing, Giles, is that uh, cattle, the biggest cell manufacturer probably, or one of the biggest cell manufacturers, uh, is very, very keen to get into the Australian market. It's going to find a way to do it. And of course, we've got uh, Watsilla, which is probably not the, um, uh, the, the Finnish company, which is building the um, the Torrens Island big battery in South Australia. So yes, there's a lot of big batteries around the place. In fact, next week, we should actually see the official launch of the Victorian big battery um, with Tesla Megapacks and, um, and speaking Speaking of next week, Giles, uh, you know, it's a big week both in the NEM when I think, am I right in saying that you're expecting the ISP 2022 version to be out? Yes, this is going to be the draft version of the integrated system plan for the um, 2022 version. The final version will come out around about mid next year. David, this is going to be interesting for a couple of things. One, because they've actually jettisoned a couple of the scenarios that were originally in the um, the first ISP. Um, not, not, to, not to mention the archi architect of it has jettisoned himself. But anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's low. Well, we'll we'll get to that. But uh, but what's really interesting? So the last ISP was interesting because it sort of took the step change scenario, which is basically decarbonizing the grid by 2040 or the early 2040s. They've actually ramped that up now to this sort of hydrogen export superpower scenario, uh, which actually talks about a decarbonized grid by 20, the mid-2030s. But what's really interesting is that the sort of business-as-usual scenario is actually being discarded because Australia finally actually has a net zero 2050 target. So that's quite interesting. And what's actually going to be important for the main players in the market is – most of our regulatory decisions and the investment decisions are basically guided by what's regarded as the most likely scenario. And the last ISP, despite the fact that we they talked about step change, actually, the, well, the investments were happening as though step change was 
was actually being beaten, all the regulatory decisions would be made based on the central scenario, the assessment about whether a transmission links a good investment or not. And of course, as we've seen, that's all been incredibly slow and incredibly held back. So what's going to be interesting about this new ISP is that the scenario that is deemed most likely is probably going to end up being something, either the step change scenario or something close to the step change scenario, which is going to light a fire underneath the regulators and all the other people making these important decisions. And that actually might see an acceleration of the transition. I think that's going to be the really interesting part of it. Well, well, I agree with that. And uh, I think it's a common complaint that we still don't have enough transmission. And so we have a scenario that basically leads to more transmission being built faster. Uh, not too many people complain. The other thing that's coming up next week, I don't want to spend too much time talking about next week because we'll talk about it then, uh, is the New South Wales roadmaps going to take a, a big step forward with the release of the 20 and 10 year plans. And it's the 10 year plan uh, when, of course, the 12 gigawatts of uh, new renewable energy uh, plus two gigawatts of uh, affirming uh, 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 reliability power are going to be built. And we're pretty much going to get the timetable for that. So that, that's, that, I think that's be very exciting. Uh, so next week's a big week. This week, uh, Giles, I thought it was worth talking a little bit about uh, commodity prices because the coal price uh, is still sitting uh, at essentially double what's uh, typically it's been historically, uh, making coal-fired electricity very expensive all around the world, wherever it's been burnt. And um, uh, lithium prices remain incredibly elevated, uh, which is very exciting for me because, disclosure, I own lithium shares. I've owned them for years and years uh, because I expected this, you know, as when the demand for electric vehicles picked up, lithium prices were going to go up because you can build electric cars a lot faster than you can build new lithium mines. And it's the same thing we're seeing with coal mines. If China's short on 150 million tonnes of coal, well, you just can't dig it up out of the ground that quickly. Uh, and so that, that, that's the situation where I'm expecting these input prices to be uh, expensive for quite a while yet. And, and I guess to, to an extent underpin electricity prices. And it's going to have another feedback too, as the International Energy Agency pointed out this week in its Renewables 2021 report, that all these input prices are actually having an effect on wind and solar prices. And I think we sort of talked about this, either on this and other podcasts over the last month or two. What we're actually seeing is not just the sort of the transport costs, but the input costs. So you've got steel, um, uh, the price of electricity for making stuff in China and other places, silicon. So we're seeing solar, the price of solar increasing, the price of wind increasing. Um, I, the IEA actually said that the price of solar could be set back three years and the um, and, and wind energy prices could actually go back to 2015 levels if it continued this way. So uh, it did point out that even at those levels, it still beats fossil fuels. And of course, we do need to transition to clean energy for climate and other reasons. But it's there's a few hurdles along the way which are not going to make things easier. No, that, that's right. And uh, this is always the case. The course of true love and the course of just about anything else never did run completely smooth. And maybe this will be the first time in 20 years that the IEA actually gets its solar forecast right. You know, there has to be a first time. Uh, I look forward to it. Uh, another I thing, Charles, is gone. Yeah, no, no, you go on. I was about to wrap up, but you've got something else. Go, go ahead. Oh, I just want to talk about hydrogen projects for a moment. I mean, one of these days we're going to have to talk about which is the hydrogen projects actually going to get done in Australia. Uh, and my money is on the one that Stanwell is involved in up in Queensland and APA is involved in it. And uh, a couple of leading Japanese companies are involved in it, including Japan's biggest uh, user of hydrogen and uh, and the guy that's building the first, the company that's building the first Japanese uh, hydrogen transport ship, which is expected, I think, to arrive in Australia uh, either next year or at the most 18 months away. So 
that's uh, and that's close. So that's the one I'm looking at. But no doubt we can talk about that some more. Time to wrap up and thank our sponsors once again. Absolutely, and thank our listeners, of course, um, everybody out there listening to this uh, podcast. Um, of course, our sponsors are Pylon and Evergen, and we thank you for your ongoing support this year and last year, and hopefully in the future. And uh, thanks to everyone listening out there. We've got another couple of exciting episodes to go before we wrap up for the end of the year, and I think probably next week we're going to focus on, as we've talked about today, New South Wales. Now, might mention in regard to Evergen, I'm hoping to be. I've been so Solar Ray uh, sponsored our podcast uh, once upon a time back in dim distant history, and I'm a solar array customer and uh, just put some more of their panels on our roof. Uh, Evergen uh, 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 hooked up with solar array and installation of Tesla power walls. Now, I don't think those power walls are economic yet, but I put one in myself this week just, just anyway. And so they will be uh, uh, linking up with uh, Evergen myself. Well, there you go. Making good use of our sponsors and we'll be all our customers to do exactly that. David, great to talk again. Um, we'll be back again this time next week. Bye for now. Energy Insiders was brought to you by Evergen, the market-leading renewable energy software business that optimises residential and commercial solar and battery systems. Evergen enables large numbers of systems to operate as a single fleet, so network operators can use them as a virtual power plant, generating significant value for consumers, network operators and the energy system as a whole. Evergen Software is powering the energy system of the future. Energy Insiders was also brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solid design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly cost and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals.